Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Doing the Thing podcast. And hey, we have the incredible honor of welcoming back our friend, Mr. Gary Guller, to the podcast today. Welcome, Gary. Good morning. Hey, good morning. And good morning to everyone out there. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, as always, I'm also joined by our co host, Jason Madden. Good morning, Jason. Hey, good morning, afternoon here on the East Coast. Yeah, thank you, Captain Technical. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I want to set the stage for today's conversation um, because Gary has spent his life doing things that most of us only read about or see in movies or documentaries or maybe even dream about. In fact, um, in 2003, Gary led the largest team of persons with disabilities to ever reach the base camp of Mount Everest. And then he went on to summit, becoming the first man in history to summit Mount Everest missing an arm. But that's not all the guy's done. I mean, it's ridiculous. Mount Choyo, um, Marathon de Saab in Morocco, Marathon de Saab in Peru. Um, the man's just been all over the world. And as you can imagine, being an adventurer like that, a guy featured on ABC World News Tonight, interviewed for over 250 newspapers and magazines, as you can imagine, Gary may have a story or two to tell about <laughs> some of the things he's encountered along the way. So um, without further ado, we invited Gary on um, to kind of share a couple of his stories and uh, have some conversation around it. So Gary. Yes, sir. Sorry, the uh, oxygen was a little thin here on the, uh, in the Northwest. It took me a little second to catch my breath. <laughs> How's it going, everyone? <laughs> so, I seem to remember in, you know, full disclosure, Gary and I had the honor of working together on the book Make Others Greater, and it's available on Amazon, and when Gary speaks, certainly that's one of the giveaways that's most sought after, along with posters and signed things like that, and uh, I seem to remember a story that had something to do with, am I remembering right, Maoist Rebels, Gary? Oh, yes, yes, you are, and that's not a memory, sometimes I... Uh... Oh, I always like to recall, but uh, yeah, I mean, it happened uh, near a region in Nepal, near a mountain by the name of Makalu, the fifth highest mountain in the world, one of my favorite mountains, uh, God, ever, and for, for a lot of years, and God, this is way back in, oh, 2001, I, if I remember correctly, and uh, I was there in that region doing a high altitude 32 day high altitude traverse which basically kind of went from a place called Tumantar to the French uh, base camp or Maclou uh, uh, base camp at uh, roughly eighteen and a half thousand feet then over a, a very high coal called the Sherpney coal which is almost 7,000 meters and you <laughs> then you spend about three or four days dodging these huge crevasses uh, to Barunsi <laughs> camp one and then you had a 600 meter rappel down to a place called Pench Pokery. Then you rested for a few days and you had to go back over another pass called Amphilopsa, which is roughly 6,000 meters. And, uh, but anyway, hell of a trip, but it started. It's, oh, it's crazy now thinking back. So we're like day six or seven. And we knew this was during the time of the civil war between the Nepali government and the Maoist insurgency. And at this time, the Maoists had pretty much taken over the entire country and mostly in the remote villages because they could hide from the government, the military helicopters and the soldiers, uh, like yeah. easier sort of in the jungle, you know? And uh, uh, so we knew what we were kind of getting into. We were just hoping that maybe we would be able to sort of skate through where they had some strongholds. 
but so I'm there with a Finnish guy and a gentleman from Washington State and a couple of my uh, dear, very close Sherpa friends, Kipa and Nima and a few others. And uh, so we entered this village like on day seven or eight. The name of this village is Tashigal. And you sort of crest this hill and then you see this small village and, you know, we're roughly at say 13,000 feet, 14,000 feet maybe. And as we crested the hill, we saw probably, let's say 60 or 70 soldiers doing their morning physical routine, like jumping jacks and push-ups and the drill sergeant, right? And we kind of just trekked sort of by them and we noticed that they looked at us. They didn't stare for very long, but they definitely knew that we had entered this village. And we were planning on staying there that particular night because you had to, they had like a mafia system in this particular village. So your lowland porters that assisted the expedition to that point, they would not allow them to continue. You had to basically hire porters from that village, which I get, I totally respect that. But it was a huge negotiation. This guy was probably about four foot three, and he had the <laughs> power of the village. So you had to sort of go and deal with this old mafia guy that, and you had to, to, to discuss the fee because they're wanting to charge us like 10 times the amount per porter than what we were used to uh, paying for the lowland porters, right? So we go and we set up camp, and uh, after, I don't know, about an hour or so, we cook dinner this four foot three gentleman sort of comes up to us. And I remember he always carried this big stick and he walked up to us and he grabbed uh, Nima Dawa Sherpa and myself. And he asked me if I was in charge, basically sort of through Nima. And uh, he asked me to follow him. And <laughs> I followed him and went into this one, like it was sort of a, this hut with this sort of straw roof. And then he went up some, uh, uh, like this like rinkety ladder. So we followed up this rinkety ladder into this dark room. And then he went up another wooden ladder to the very top of this like sort of mountain village kind of hut. And all of a sudden, when we got in this room, uh, <laughs> there's like nine soldiers. And I'm, and I'm talking about soldiers with, you know, guns, AK-47s. Uh, pipe bombs, uh, <laughs> Wait, what? made like dynamites kind of hanging, like homemade bombs sort of hanging from themselves. <laughs> he to, and he told me to sit down and I sat down and you could barely, you could just, you could just barely make out the faces, but I could tell that these, these soldiers were like 14 years old, 15 years old, right? Because oh. those are the ones that they recruited for the insurgency. And when I sat down, all of a sudden he, he, he grabbed this, old kerosene lantern right without the glass around it and lit it and then all of a sudden this room started smelling like you know basically kerosene and he wait, wait 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 gary it, you you got a live flame with people with dynamite strapped to their legs sitting around you well i don't know for a fact it was dynamite but they were like they, they definitely were homemade bombs homemade pipe bombs kind of <laughs> wow. doesn't make it any better <laughs> you know, i'm like okay Guller, this is one of those like really cool it, you just need to be really cool here and kind of see how this is all going to sort of play out right so yeah. he puts his lantern like literally like six inches from my face and he goes we have to talk right <laughs> and i mean it was like 
I started having these flashbacks from like the deer hunter. Remember that movie from years ago? <laughs> so this dialogue keeps going back and forth. And then I realized he didn't speak a bit of English and couldn't pick up anything that I was saying to Nimadawa as they're sort of having some conversation. And Nimadawa was kind of relaying to me what this gentleman is saying. And uh, finally, I'm like, okay, <laughs> two things are going to happen here. And uh, one, it, it probably won't, won't end well. So, uh, I don't know if I was scared. I mean, I remember looking back thinking like, you know, this could be the end here. And I just remember telling Nima, I said, Nima, tell him he looks like a, basically I said, tell him he looks like a dog. I'm not negotiating with him. <laughs> and Nima sort of cracked up laughing. And then I think he thought, that he may not want to say that to this particular person, right? And he said something that I was very honored to meet him and thank, thank him for allowing us to, to, to be in his village for the <laughs> night, right? And basically, the guy was saying he wanted X amount of rupees. I think at that time, it was like 100,000 rupees, about fifteen or $1,600 to allow us to continue. Uh, or he was basically going to hold us in the village, right? And my immediate reaction was, you know, absolutely not, you know, absolutely not. Right. And then the next thing I know, the guy looks me straight in the face and I feel this, like, I don't know, it was a nine millimeter, 357, whatever, right on my forehead. And basically he said through Nimado's shirt, he goes, you may want to ask your expedition leader to rethink what he just said kind of thing. Oh, and I was like, well, you know, I mean, it's happened to me maybe two or three times in my life. And I think on all those accounts, I can honestly say, <laughs> well, at least it's going to be over pretty darn quickly. I mean, obviously you don't want it to happen that way, but <laughs> I think it would, would happen pretty, pretty fast. And Is it weird that so, I'm having like an Indiana Jones vibe right now? Are you guys about to have like a drinking competition and, and you're going to win your way out? Right. I mean, in a, in a, I mean, you know, was, yeah, we're like a, uh, what was Tarantino's film, uh, Inglorious Bastards, you know, when they were in the bottom of that, uh, uh, that bar. And I think Brad Pitt was there and they had a gun underneath the table and they both sort of pointed to each other's crotch. And Brad Pitt was like, I think they call this a Mexican standoff. <laughs> anyway, one of my favorite films. So, so after that, he lowered his gun, right? I took a deep breath and I was like, okay, let's just figure out. I had some clients that I had to look after and look after the safety of my team, right? So I'm like, okay. So basically after about an hour and a half of discussion, maybe two hours, we finally agreed on a price. I think I got it down to about 15,000 rupees, you know, say two or $300 in those days, right? So after the money was exchanged, I was like, wait a second. We could go 100 meters up the trail and some other commandant from some other like garrison from the same insurgency could stop us, right? And yeah. do the same shakedown again. So I was like, excuse me, before we leave here, can you write down that we have paid you and that we support your cause and that if we come across any more insurgents, you know, over the next two or three weeks, that they'll allow us passage. I couldn't believe it, guys. I mean, I, he freaking agreed to it, right? And he actually wrote this note and said how much we paid him and to allow us through and that all is in good order and we've already paid the shakedown money. And he gave it to me. I put it in my pocket and 
you know, I managed my way down those ladders and out that door and over to my camp and went to my tent and reached into my emergency supply of Everest whiskey and I poured myself a pretty strong shot and thought, okay, here we go. The next morning we got up, we had breakfast. I kind of uh, said a few things to the clients and to the other staff about how it all went down, you know, keeping some of the details out. And, uh, and we started the, the journey. <laughs> it gives me like chills, even trying to remember it because my heart was beating so fast. I mean, it's beating fast now. And to try to really, I mean, it was a long time ago, but at the same time, it's, it was like a month ago. Uh, and I'm just, you know, I'm, you know, we all, we all react, react in, in, in different ways when we're presented with, uh, so, challenges. Do you remember how to use the note? Some people, uh, run, some people get really scared. Some people start sweating. Some people just can't deal. Some people won't ever be there in the first place. Uh, and you know, I decided at that moment, really, it was like, I think your best course of action, Guller, is to just play it really, really cool. Maybe keep the wisecracks down. He may not have <laughs> that kind of humor. Uh, and, you know, it's going to go two ways. Either you're going to get shot and this, this deal's going to be done, or um, you'll survive and you'll, you'll live another day to, to, to share the, st- <laughs> the story with somebody one day. I mean, because I said to, to my friend, I mean, you couldn't make this, you couldn't make it up. Right. There's no way. And especially sometimes when I look back at the images and I see the folks that were with me on that particular expedition or just recounting, you know, a second time with the rice uh, that a Sherpa threw out in front of a a rock avalanche and uh, we survived. And it was just uh, it was just an incredible. I mean, imagine 32 days, 25 of those days pretty much above 16,000 feet going to an area of Nepal where you see no one else. Once you kind of leave some of the lower elevated elevation uh, villages and, you know, you see certain valleys that, you know, just have such a magical presence. Uh, You see where women go to a, to a, to a huge rock face that, kind of looks like a pregnant woman's belly and the women that can't get pregnant or have children, they go and they pray for days and days and days to this, to this rock, this pregnant rock. And they say, if you pray X amount of days, then, you know, nine, nine months later, you're going to have a little Sherpa baby. And uh, I mean, who am I, who am I to question? Right. And then you look at the pregnant, pregnant mama rock. And then you look sort of to your, your West and you see this cave very, very high, up in the uh, up in the in the rock face, and apparently that's where the very uh, respected Rinpoche, Guru Rinpoche, this is where he spent years and years and years by himself, uh, just praying. And then you see all the Tibetan traders, like at the bottom of uh, uh, the bottom of the valley, praying up to the this hole in the mountains. And then you, when you just kind of taken all of that in, then you kind of look to your north and there's this massive, massive rock face. It's probably it's, uh, hundreds of meters tall. And then your sharper friend sort of comes up to you and he says, Gary, can you see that one hole there? Right. And you stare at this rock face and you stare at this rock face and then you find this one little hole. And he said, this is where another like llama where he lived. And he goes, look just to the left 
of that hole and you'll see this white, uh, it looks like just, it looks like just sort of like white milk. And I said, it kind of looks like somebody poured a glass of milk sort of down the rock face. And he said, this is how that man survived for so many years in that cave because just to the left of the cave, there's a small hole. And on the other end of that hole is Tibet. And the milk flows all the way from Tibet through the mountain range and out that hole. And he would just sit there once a day and drink the milk. And that's why when you look to the left of this, of this cave, you can see where the milk obviously uh, uh, kind of passed through his hands. It's a trip. Wow. So, you know, I want to come back to something, Gary, because I, you know, I like to think I'm a risk taker. I've done some bold things in my estimation, but marching into civil war <laughs> is not one of the things I've actually done. And so I'm imagining, I'm seeing you guys kind of sneaking into that village. I'm almost seeing a cartoon, like, you know, like cartoon characters kind of slipping through and them turning and you know i remember in the story you telling me that you know they weren't exactly in sync with one another so it kind of looked like that bill murray movie right there yes army training <laughs> sir <laughs> yeah like one of them's at the top of his jumping jack the other one's mid jumping jack oh, totally totally right <laughs> and, and none of them north of 15 i bet none of them north of 15. so right at that moment right let's just freeze frame right at that moment you sneaking in them with their disjointed exercise, 14, 15 year old people, and they turn to you. What exactly is going through your head in that moment? Honestly, keep really, really calm, right? Because you knew, we knew we were being watched like four or five days in, like just after when we landed on this grass airstrip in this little village by the name of Tulantar. Uh, that was the last post where you saw any Nepali, uh, army folks, right? Once you left Tumantar, then you got into uh, what they call Maoist country, right? And even after the first day, a gentleman came around looking at the expedition team, looking at the gear, looking at our tents. And then we saw the same guy the next night and then the next night. And I remember one of the Sherpas saying, Gary, that's Mawa. He's Mawa. And, uh, so I knew Tashigon, if we get through this village, Tashigon, we would be in the clear because there's no more villages past this, past Tashigon, right? But so I thought we were going to actually make it through. So when we crested the hill and we saw, uh, and when we saw the soldiers doing the jumping jacks, I mean, I was really just hoping we just would keep walking and nobody would stop us or say anything but what was going through my mind was gary just be calm and be cool because i don't want the sherpas to be scared i definitely don't want the other members of the expedition to be scared and i didn't want our hard-working porters to be scared either i think everybody sensed the danger uh and it was my role to keep everybody calm and sort of at task and just moving forward so after that incident um, with the leader and getting your receipt for uh, basically safe travel the rest of the way, <laughs> did you have any other issues? Did, uh, did you have, ever have to use that? Uh, no, because once we, let, once we got that uh, piece of paper, I mean, I felt pretty safe 
uh, in the sense that beyond this village, there are no more villages uh, from there for probably the next 20 plus days. And eventually we're gonna end up uh, over the Anthelopsa Pass into the Everest region. And that Everest region had not, there's too many people and the Mawa were within the Everest region, but they didn't have control uh, in a sense like they did in the more remote villages. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So maybe you're uh, running into another, another group of people that you'd have to negotiate with. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping that wouldn't be the case. And I think if, if I knew that there was nobody coming over the passes, uh, and especially soldiers, because it was too steep, too technical, and too much, and too much danger. Um, uh, so I knew once we got through that village, it would be unlikely. Uh, but saying that, I mean, uh, I didn't know for sure. I knew once, once we got past Makalu base camp, there's like no chance. I mean, uh, Mawa, uh, Sherpa, other people, other nationalities, not, no chance at all. Uh, but, uh, yeah, for the next, uh, next few days after that, I surely was looking over my, my back a few times. <laughs> yeah. You definitely played it cool though, man. You, you, I think you made the right moves, and I think your your interpreter. I think that he made a good good choice not to uh, properly translate some choice words that you had. <laughs> it was kind of a surreal. I mean, it was a surreal experience for sure, right? And uh, I mean, in hindsight, would I have done the same thing uh, again? I, I'm not quite sure. Did I take it? Uh, I, I mean, I did take it seriously. I really did. Although, all fun and joking aside. Right. And I think that could have been the mechanism that switched on. It was like, OK, well, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down with 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 the laugh uh, <laughs> anyway. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to go down kind of sitting in the corner crying. I love that. You know, and it's interesting. We were uh, Jason and I in a couple of last sessions, we you know, we told the Shackleton story. And as you I know, know very well. Uh, being the person that introduced me to Shackleton, it all started with that ad that said, you know, men wanted for a dangerous journey, death is likely kind of thing, right? And so right. I think that, you know, agrees to go on a Guller expedition, knows that they're in very good hands, but equally knows that, you know, you can't control everything in that environment. And there's some chances that things could go south and sour. And, you know, death is certainly on the table. And, Man, I think you've had some of those experiences. I'm, I'm remembering something maybe about a friend named Marv and, um, you know, something like that where really faith came into question, right? <laughs> yeah, I haven't thought about that story in a long time. But, yeah, I mean, just briefly going back on what you were saying, this particular route uh, through the Maklu region over the, the very three very high passes, very technical, very, very, very dangerous. I mean, in addition to just the Mao, I mean, there was a constant fear of uh, – huge i mean huge it's even hard to articulate in the words the, the scale of these uh rock falls that happen i mean millions and millions it seems like millions of boulders just 10 times the size of your car kind of just stacked on top of each other running about a 25 degree angle for as far as your eyes can see and you've got to traverse this slope for not just one day for like two entire days right and every single move of move that you make could unsettle like some of uh, some of these rocks uh, to a point to where there would be no chance of, of survival. And I mean, that was another experience when I had a Sherpa, you know, throw the rice uh, in, in the direct path of a, of a rock avalanche 
with me and him sort of running uh, away from as fast as we could. I mean, it reminded me of a cartoon, you know, and the, the rocks and the avalanches behind you and you're running and they're trying to catch you and, and wow. you're just running faster and faster. And, uh, uh, and it, but that was the truth, you know, uh, but going on to, to what you were saying about, you know, faith and, uh, you know, I think that's very much, um, integrated within the Sherpa community and, uh, that particular, uh, story that you that you mentioned yeah i was in a in a village in the everest region a village by the name of kunjung where the sir edmund's one of sir edmund hillary's first schools is located also very famous for the yeti the yeti scout and uh uh we'd, we'd finished about a 25 day trip and the weather turned really sour really gray really cold you know we're roughly at 12 13,000 feet and uh yeah, that night we got there, my friend got very, very sick, very, very sick. And I wasn't sure if it was it was altitude, but that didn't make sense because we'd already been higher for, you know, weeks prior to this. But uh, shivering and then extremely hot, and but extremely ill. I mean, and near white as a ghost. And uh, he, he laid there for about a day and a half and really not drinking, not really eating much at all. And... I was staying in a small hut uh, of my at my friend's house, and uh, I was getting quite concerned. But the weather was so bad, we couldn't evacuate. There was no way we could get a helicopter in, and I really didn't think he was was going to make it. And so I'm having uh, some tea with my Sherpa friend, and we're kind of discussing our, our options. How can we handle this? You know, this poor guy. And my Sherpa friend said, "Gary, there's there's one thing that we could possibly try." And I asked them what that was and listened to them. And apparently there's this, this little seed, it's like Tibetan medicine, it's called a pongmore. And I kind of describe it, it looks like uh, about half the size of an almond. And he went and got it and he showed it to me. And I said, right, what is this? And he told me this is pongmore. And you basically, it, it, it gets into the body and it, and it, and it uh, eats up all the sickness, like very quickly. And I asked him, well, how does that work? Can you explain that to me? And he said, like, so you take a bowl and you like put some sickness in the bowl and you take this little seed and you drop the seed in the bowl of, of, of sickness. And that could be phlegm. It could be just water from your mouth. But if you're sick, everyone knows what you can put into a bowl, right? And when you drop this seed into the bowl, it, like it surrounds the sickness and then just like the sickness is gone. And I'm like, okay, uh, it sounds like maybe a good plan, but you expect me to give this to my friend? And he was like, Gary, I think it will work. But he says, I have one more, one more question or one more issue. I'm like, okay, my friend, his name was Pimba. I'm like, Pimba, can you, you know, let me know what the issue is? And he said, I'm not entirely sure which Pongmore this is. And I said, what, what do you mean by which? And he's like, there's two types of pongmore. One that will kill you instantly. And the other that will drive away the sickness and make you better. And he said, I just can't remember which one this one is. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a, a problem, right? I mean, that's a 50-50 chance. And uh, he said, uh, but we have to try something. He may not make it through the night. So I said, well, I guess... We can at least ask him what he wants to do. And I went into the room where this 
gentleman was very, very sick. And I said, look, my friend, I have this Pongmore seed. It's very powerful. And Sherpas and Tibetans have been using it for many, many years. We think it will make you better. And it will make you better fast, maybe by the morning. Uh, but we have one small problem is that it could also kill you. Uh, because we're not quite sure if it's the good, good medicine or the bad medicine. And this guy looked at me, and if I remember correctly, he said, what would you do? And I looked at him, and I said, you know, you may die anyway. I would take the chance. And he wow. did. And I'll be honest with you, I have never seen anyone throw up so profusely and for so long and so many times than that evening. It was one of the longest evenings of my life. And then all of a sudden, around eight, nine o'clock in the morning, just as I was kind of waking up after a very short nap, all of a sudden, basically my friend, he wakes up and he had color back in his face. He was asking for some tea. He was asking for some breakfast. And he was able to sit up, and it worked. We 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 got it right. Uh, I mean, thank God, right? right? So, you know, we were. I was nervous. I know the Sherpa was nervous because he was dead serious that he did not know which way this this event was going to pan out. And when you talk about faith and belief, uh, I think there was a lot of believing and a lot of praying that was going on. That. Uh, we made the right choice. Wow, that's a amazing story, man. That's you know, that's really interesting how you know different cultures have these interesting remedies, you know, like the ancient Chinese medicine re remedies, and you know, different cultural things that you know not necessarily recognized by science, but seem to you know have a track record for working. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree, right? I mean, I mean, you think about it. I mean, you guys know as well as I do, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners do as well, that, you know, in some of these very remote villages, you know, uh, modern medicine, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's still, it's still to this day is a, a, a huge issue, right? I mean, I was in a village not too many months ago that, uh, I mean, they were, <laughs> this was the medical center that represented five remote villages, and they didn't have any band, they were out of Band-Aids. I'm like, how can you be out of Band-Aids, yeah. right? But, uh, I mean, it's the way it is, so... Yeah, like you were saying, uh, Jason, that uh, you 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 go back to the old school ways of healing and recovering, and I think it's uh, interesting nowadays that uh, you know a lot more folks and a lot more Western, uh, I think, uh, doctors are uh, revisiting uh, a lot of the treatments that were used for thousands and thousands of years quite effectively. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's worth the revisit and actually get some scientific data behind it and see how why it works, you know, so that they can start applying it to modern medicine. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. I mean, uh, I'm a pretty simple guy, I think, and uh, I know uh, when I've been injured uh, in in the mountains or trekking or doing any just really doing anything kind of adventurous and, and fun or hard and sometimes dangerous uh i think the times when i feel the best when uh, the local medicine from the local people from the local region uh has worked uh 
uh, worked a lot, lot better. But saying that, I have seen a doctor on one of my expeditions almost uh, kill an entire village with uh, baby aspirin too. So some of it's in your mind, right? Yeah, absolutely. You've got that placebo effect to some right? degree. <laughs> one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning of the story, um, you said something about the Yeti. Can, can we revisit that? Yeah, there's a, a village. It's it's uh, Kunjung. It's either Kunjung or Kundi, but uh, they actually have uh, a, a Yeti scalp in the monastery, uh, and you can actually see it. And you know, there's people. Some people believe this is the scalp from the Yeti, and some people think that it that it's not. But uh, I can tell you for fact, uh, not that I know for sure. But I do know of a young girl uh, near this village that was washing in uh, a small mountain lake many years ago. And there's really two types of, of Yeti, right? You got the ones that kind of eat people and then the ones that don't, right? And she <laughs> you was- the, You got the ones that eat people and the ones that don't. Right? All right, cool, cool distinction. Like I said, I, I like to keep things, I'm quite simple. I like to keep things simple for folks to understand. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this young this young woman was was basically bathing in the, this lake and you know washing her clothes etc. And this this yeti came and uh, it ate her yet. And uh, she stayed in the water and she screamed and screamed and uh, the yeti ran away after eating her yak and uh, she never was the same. She basically went back to the village and she went into her bedroom and uh, she was never the same person again. She lost it. And I can understand that. I guess if you see a Yeti eat your yak while you're washing your clothes, that may send me over the edge too, right? And uh, now I know that's a very, very true story. Uh, and with the Yeti itself, I've seen the Yeti scalp. I mean, to me, it looks like a Yeti scalp, but I haven't had a whole lot of uh, close encounters uh, with with the Yeti uh, personally. Uh, there's been times when I've surely felt like there was somebody either watching, watching us or very, very near to us uh, in very remote places when I was pretty much just in a tent with two or three people that were part of the expedition and there was no one else. Uh, but uh yeah, if you ever get the opportunity, maybe one day we'll do a uh, doing the right thing podcast from that monastery in the Himalaya, uh, and we'll we'll look at the Yeti scalp. Yeah, and you know, Gary, we're, as we get towards the close of the episode, it's been wildly entertaining. Even though I know these stories, to hear them again, so I just can't imagine, you know, all our listeners sitting in right now at the edge of their seat. And you know, you touched on a story that I think just has such importance right now, and that's the story. And it gets back to faith and the story of rice. And I think, you know, all of us now we're facing these unprecedented times. And, you know, whether we want to say it out loud or not, there's moments and times when we think to ourselves like, hey, am I going to come out of this okay? Is my family going to be okay? And there is this element of faith that carries you through in, 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 in the face of, you know, death and great challenges. And I know that one day you and Nima stood in front of that. Um, that kind of onslaught, you know, that you could see coming at you. And mm. the story is a great one to leave everybody with. Yeah. I mean, it's a story that, I mean, I'll never forget in, in, in my life. I mean, very different from having the gun at your, your head 
uh, in the in the village or the the rock uh, the rock avalanche. Uh, I mean, this was you know on the, the slopes of Everest in the in the Kumbu Icefall, and uh, uh, you know my dream. You know, since I was a young man, you know, to to be here, and I'm um, halfway through this icefall. You know, this is massive. I mean, it's very difficult to describe unless you've actually seen it or been in it yourself. I mean, it's just the scale is huge and there's crevasses you can't see the bottom of there's avalanches that are happening every 30 40 minutes it's just like scary and dangerous but at the same time very alluring and attractive and beautiful right but uh it's there's a lot of danger and uh we're halfway through this icefall and you know on my first trip up to camp one and uh we heard the the just the big huge cracking noise and you knew something had broke somewhere in this icefall and we picked up our speed and uh we heard the noise again twice as loud 10 times as, as, as long it seems. And uh, me and my Sherpa friend, we look up and we see this avalanche coming directly toward us. And, uh, you know, for me, I thought that was it. I mean, I, you can't outrun avalanches there. And uh, I thought that, that this was my time. And uh, I grabbed my Sherpa friend and he grabbed me and we squeezed each other, just kind of waited for impact to happen. And, uh, you know, it seemed like a lifetime. It was probably six or seven seconds and the debris was around us. You could feel it on our helmets and our shoulders. And, uh, uh, it finally stopped. And, uh, uh, I remember my Sherpa friend right in the mix of all this debris coming down around us. He just let go of me and he jumped in front of the path of the avalanche and he threw something three times and then came back very quickly and grabbed hold of me. Um, uh, so after all the dust settled and we realized that we're, we were in fact not dead and this is not heaven, right? Uh, that we actually survived. I asked my Sherpa friend, I'm like, what did you throw on the path of that avalanche? And he looked at me and he, uh, he said, you know, Gary, when you went back to Kathmandu to say goodbye to the base camp team, I went to, I went back to Pengoche and visited this very old, like 500 year old Lama. And I asked the Lama for a special blessing. And this Lama gave my Sherpa friend some rice. And he said, if danger comes your way, throw the rice in the path of the danger three times and you'll be okay. And that's what he threw in the path of the avalanche. You know, and I look back over the years and retell the story and share the story and think about the story and how lucky I am to actually be on this podcast for that matter. Uh, uh, I sometimes kind of wonder, you know, what that was all about. And yes, faith, of course. But I think ultimately I've decided that, uh, that my Sherpa friend believed wholeheartedly in that rice and he believed wholeheartedly in that very, very old llama. And he's my brother, right? He believed wholeheartedly in me. And at the same time, I believed that in him. And that's what got us through, the simple act of believing in each other. Uh, if he would have ran one way, I'd have ran another way. I would not be on this uh, call with, with you folks today. There's no way. Uh, and, you know, especially in these times, especially with what's going on at the moment, I mean, sure, we're suffering. Everybody's suffering. Some people are suffering a lot more. I feel very fortunate. I'm sure you guys do too. But people are suffering and they're hurting and they're scared. And if we can hold on to one thing, right? I mean, it's we have to continue to believe that it will get better, that we will get through this. And, uh, and if it takes walking into your, your, your pantry and grabbing some rice and putting it in your hand and going outside and thinking and knowing that you can get through this moment and throw the rice into the air three times, 
ah, and just give yourself that, that moment of like, yes, I know it is bad. It could get worse. It possibly will, but we will get through this and we will be better at the end. And we will spend more time and do the right thing and be nicer and be more compassionate because we got through something very challenging together. Well said, love that. You know, it really reminds me of some of the hardships and days when, back when I was in the military, back in the service, when I was oh. deployed overseas, um, whenever we would have maybe a gunfight or a firefight, or we got hit from an IED, we, we probably never would have gotten out the way that we did if we were not there to take care of each other oh. and trust each other. And that's one of the biggest things that I heard from that too, is, you know, you two were very much in understanding that the both of you were, were capable, but even if you weren't, because it's an unknown situation, you still trusted each other and you worked together to get out to the other side. Absolutely. Um, love that. Great message, man. Um, you know, I think we're going to start winding it down, but there's a couple of things. Um, yeah, we're coming up on an anniversary, right? Uh, final steps to some of the world for you, right? May 23rd? May 23rd, yes. My, one of my most favorite days and memories uh, in all of my life. So we're going to celebrate that this, uh, this year. Um, we're going to go live. Uh, right now, I think capability is Facebook. Uh, but we're going to bring you on live, and we're going to celebrate this together and hopefully – bring more people in on it. Yeah, no, very nice. I'd be absolutely honored. And, uh, and hopefully too, uh, you know, we can share some, uh, some images of the people that were part of it and part of the success, uh, and perhaps a, uh, you know, a short video clip or, or two. And, uh, yeah, so I look forward to that. And, uh, yeah, the 23rd of May, uh, you know, represents a very wonderful day for me, but also for the expedition and the message and for all people, regardless of ability or disability, it was hugely, hugely successful. Wonderful, man. So any, um, any party notes or maybe give the audience some information on how they can reach you and learn more, a little bit more about you and some of your adventures? Oh, totally. Yes. Thank you for asking. Uh, I mean, of course, I have a website, GaryGuller.com, G-A-R-Y-G-U-L-L-E-R.com. I mean, you know, have a peek. I mean, most of it's sort of geared toward uh, keynote speaking. I'm very honored that, you know, folks uh, uh, invite me to bring a sort of an outside perspective and allow me to be myself. And, uh, uh, so there's good information kind of about that. Uh, you know, we have a couple of films on Amazon Prime, uh, Team Everest, The Himalayan Journey, and Sherpa Stew. Uh, I'd highly recommend both of them. Uh, the filmmakers are a dear friend of mine and ours. Uh, did, a, did a fantastic job on both of those. And, uh, you know, on the 23rd of May, too, uh, Phil Mako and myself wrote a book a few years back, and we launched it on the summit day, which, again, is just always a, a beautiful, wonderful memory. And I'm sure that we'll have a few... Uh, you know, a few uh, gifts uh, to send out to folks that uh, come and be part of the journey on the 23rd of May. Rock and roll, man. Thank you. Sounds great. Well, we're going we're gonna to wind it down. So thanks again, Gary, for, for being on here. Bill, always a pleasure. Thank you for facilitating this. And if you're out there listening to this, please like, share, share it with a friend. If you, if you enjoyed the message, um, if not, that's okay, too. As long as we help one person, that's, that's what matters the most. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Perfect.